Well, welcome to episode 22 of the Other Six podcast. My name is Matt. I'm the worship pastor, and I am going to be hosting today. And I have my awesome guest, Adam. Just the see two, what I did there? It's just the two of it's us. Just the two uh, of and us. I'm awesome today. You're Thank awesome. You. I, you see what I, I did I there? I finally got my wish. <laughs> I appreciate that. See, if I host, you get I get to do the, the whole Chad thing. We miss Chad. Yeah, we miss Chad. But that was nice. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, Chad, miss you. I uh, hope you get back soon. So, uh, anyway... We talked about tithing yesterday, and you used a ladder with Mountain Climber Hardy. Yeah, and it wasn't just tithing, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. we There's did a lot, lot more than just tithe, <laughs> yeah. you know. But yes, Mountain Climber Hardy did assist us. It was pretty cool. I liked Mountain Climber Hardy. So if you missed the message, it is worth going back to <laughs> watch to see worth, Mountain Climber Hardy. So that was that was fun. It. We had a good yeah. time with that. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So, you know, wh- the first question I had was, if God owns everything— what is the purpose of him giving us some to steward? Like, what is the purpose of that? So if you go back to the garden, you know, God creates Adam and Eve, and then he puts them in charge of everything. He lets Adam name the animals, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. So God names them, yeah. but then he lets them name the animals, yeah. right? And then he gives them dominion over the land and tells yeah. them to cultivate the land. And so there is a greater stewardship principle on the whole that we've been entrusted to steward the entire planet. Yeah. So the role of steward is actually foundational to why God placed us here. So then if you, you know, extrapolate that out towards financial resources, the same principles hold true. Uh-huh. So God's going to entrust us with some financial resources. And if you look at, you know, just our modern day living, I mean, we're not going to go through the historical development of money, you know, that <laughs> oh, would be on, fun, man. right? But back in the day, Matthew, they would barter, right? So uh, <laughs> I love a good barter. I'll trade you a guitar for a hat, you know, so they would barter. So you get to the point where we are now in money. So God's going to allow us to steward financial resources for a number of reasons. Okay. Um, you know, primarily to meet needs. Yeah. The New Testament has a lot to say about the believer who won't provide for his or her family. It says that there's a curse, like you're worse than the enemy. Like, it's bad. It, I mean, there's no, you know, uh, shortage of language there. So yeah. part of what we do is provide for our family, make sure our needs are being met, make sure there's, you know, shelter and, and clothing and food. But then beyond that, we're entrusted to steward these resources for greater purposes than just taking care of ourselves, Yeah, which is really where you start to get into God's Word to give us some guidance. And the reason why a message like this matters is because our culture says, well, you have more resources to take care of you. Mm-hmm. You have more resources to purchase more stuff. Everything yeah. about advertising exists to convince you of something you don't need <laughs> and to convince you that you need it right now. They're, they're well, pretty the, good at it, too. <laughs> a false sense of urgency, right? Yeah. And so we have to speak to it because the series is Be a Light. Yeah. So if we're going to be a light in our everyday lives, how we are handling money fits in that. Because if we give in to culture's narrative, we will just enter into this rat race of constantly wanting more, buying more, mm-hmm. never being content, yeah. and missing out on the opportunity to be a light in our everyday lives. And so, you know, I think the God's Word actually gives us a lot of helpful guidance, kind of given the culture yeah. that we live in today with money. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of God's Word, and His Word says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also Help me unpack that. Um, What does that actually mean? I love that Jesus worded it that way because I think on the surface, we would think it's the other way around. Yeah. So if I really like something, that's what I'm going to give my money to. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, no, it's amazing how where your money starts to go, that's what you will start liking. So we'll use a couple of examples people may understand. 
if uh, someone decided to invest money in a particular stock, mm-hmm. which I just finished eating lunch, and as I was eating lunch, I was reading, apparently the stock market's not going so well today, no, right? No, it is not. So if you are having a bad day, hang in there, okay? <laughs> this too shall pass. But um, if you start investing money in a particular stock mm-hmm. from a particular company, I bet you'll start paying more attention to that company. Yeah. I bet you'll start caring a little bit more about that right. company. Right. I bet all of a sudden you're going to want to know how's that company doing. Right. We just probably lost some listeners because they went to check the stock market to go, wait a second. <laughs> don't, don't Was that one of my companies that, that's not doing well? Um, if one of your kids decides that he or she wants to go to a particular university and you are helping to finance that endeavor, <laughs> you're sending money to that university, I bet you'll start caring more about that university. Right. So when we invest money, our heart follows. And uh, you can tell what someone cares about by the money that they invest, not because they cared about it and then they invested their money, right. but because a natural byproduct of investing money is that you get attached. Mm-hmm. You begin to care. It drives your emotions. And that matters because if we want our hearts to be in alignment with God, then the resources, our financial resources that we've been entrusted with are one of the key ways that happen. Now, let's go back to last week. Why does that matter? Yeah. From our hearts flow our words. Yeah. The heart's the wellspring of life. So all of these things are tied together, which is why we have no issue talking about money yeah. because we don't see it as a separate category. We see it as an all-inclusive part of what it means to walk with the Lord. So, all right, that kind of leads into what you are talking about yesterday with stewardship being a part of discipleship. Um, how do we—how um, how does that work? How does stewardship be a part of discipleship? Yeah, so— for years, churches wouldn't talk about money because they were afraid that that would run people off. Yeah. Or they were afraid they would fall into the stereotype that, well, all churches want is money. So mm-hmm. we don't want to be associated with that. Therefore, we won't talk about money. Yeah. And on some level, I can understand the apprehension because, you know, getting up and talking to a bunch of people about money uh, can be challenging. Right. But the reason why I do it is because foundationally, I believe, Von Forrest believes, it is a part of our disciples. The verse yeah. we read yesterday, yeah. that we excel in this grace of giving, uh-huh. that we don't look at uh, stewarding financial resources as a separate category. Mm-hmm. So we talk about how can people learn how to share their faith? How can people yeah. learn how to have a personal devotional life? We talk about the value of community. Mm-hmm. We talk about worship, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about prayer. We talk about all these things that help us grow. Yeah. Stewarding financial resources is one of those things as well. Yeah. In my opinion, it is impossible to be a fully developing follower of Jesus. Pause. Notice I used the word developing. Uh We are never a fully developed follower of Jesus until we join him in heaven. Right. So while we're here on earth, we're always in process. So let me go back to my statement. It's impossible (laughs) to be a fully developing follower of Jesus while not also simultaneously being a fully developing steward of financial resources. Those two things work hand in hand. So someone can tell me, I'm growing in my faith, I'm experiencing spiritual growth, Mm -hmm. I'm closer to God than I've ever been, but I never release any of my money to him. Mm -hmm. I I would push back against that. I would say, well, you're probably not growing to the extent that you could be. Um, I think that it is an incongruent thought pattern to say, I trust God with my eternity, just not with the money. Yeah. That I have right now. <laughs> it's like, really? You got more faith than me because I, I do trust God uh, with my eternity by faith. But this is a tangible thing right. that I'm holding on to today. Right. I can see it. I right. can't really see heaven, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it doesn't make sense to say I'll trust him with something I can't see 
but I don't trust them with something I can, I can see. Yeah. So yeah, stewardship and how we steward financial resources, how we involve God in that is a major part of our discipleship. And I feel like it's one of the key reasons that Christians, um, sometimes their life is not as distinct from people who who aren't Christians, right? That they're actually letting the world dictate more to them about how they should manage their money mm-hmm. than God's word. Mm-hmm. Then they end up in the same type of financial stress and problems yeah. with money, quite simply because they didn't follow the guidance from God's word. And that probably foundationally can be traced back to a separation of those things. Yeah. Well, how I yeah. handle money isn't that has nothing to do with God. No, it has everything to do okay. with God and everything yeah. to do with your spiritual growth. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Matthew 6 uh, says that you can't serve God and money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think some Christians kind of relate that to you can't accumulate money. Can you help me understand that? Yeah, like, yeah, I don't, that's good. Like, I don't get the two like that. So think about money the same way we think as time. Okay. Okay, so money and time both exist, and it all depends on— how they're being used or whose hands they're in to dictate whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. This is one of the attacks that um, was used against uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. We, ce- we celebrated Martin Luther King uh, last week, Martin Luther King Day last week. And he was told over and over, uh, we understand what you're saying. It's yeah. just not the right time. And Dr. King had the wisdom and wherewithal to say, no, it's always the right time to mm-hmm. do the right thing. Yeah. And so he understood that time is never an excuse to not do the right thing. So time, we all get the same amount of time. It's how we use the time. So you take money, it's all about whose hands it's in. It's all about how it's used. There isn't in the, anything in the Bible that says you shouldn't accumulate money. I mean, some of the wealthiest people that have ever lived mm-hmm. are some of the people that we know from our Bible stories. Right. Yeah. Okay? If you go back to the Old Testament, and I won't belabor the point, but we'll just use one. I mean, the amount of wealth that David accumulated in his life, yeah. and that verse I read from First Chronicles yesterday comes from David's yeah. whole philosophy of money. He knew that he didn't own it. He knew that God had entrusted him with some of it. And a lot of those financial resources were what were used to build the temple. You get to the New Testament, and in Luke chapter 12, I believe it is, Jesus is tearing, mm-hmm. telling a parable about a guy who he looked around and he's like, I've produced way more crops than I need. Mm-hmm. What should I do? Yeah. Nowhere in the parable does Jesus say, and he shouldn't have produced more crops than he needs. <laughs> the problem is what he then did next. What this guy did in the parable is he started building bigger barns to store more of up, his own yeah. crops. And that's where Jesus said he didn't understand like what was going on. So if you get to a point in your life where you're producing income that's greater than you need, mm-hmm. that's when it actually starts to get fun. Yeah. Because God's word has a lot of guidance then for what you could do with that income to benefit mm-hmm. others and be a blessing to others. This is one of the greatest guiding principles in the history of Christianity. Yeah. If not for what I just said, Christians producing more income than they needed, we would not have hospitals. We would not have universities. Yeah. We would not have multiple organizations. We certainly wouldn't have churches. Yeah. You could go to every continent on the planet mm-hmm. and you can find historically a group of Christians who believed in a cause or believed in serving people and then financed that yeah. through their resources and all of society has benefited from it. Yeah. And so for a lot of people, the greatest way they could ever serve the Lord is by using the gifts that God gave them to start a business that generates an immense amount of wealth. Yeah. 
Why? Well, they can provide jobs for other people. Why? That money can then be used to further good things for the kingdom. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who unfortunately think generating wealth and generating income is bad. And what that inevitably leads to is only bad people generating wealth and income, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. No, so we need some of God's people doing that as well yeah. and being generous with it and continuing to fund the kingdom. So yeah, when 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 God's word clearly says you can't serve both God and money. Yeah. The most generous Christians I've ever known were people who God had blessed and they had done really well, mm -hmm. and they were serving God with their money. Yeah. They weren't serving their money. And so generating wealth and income can be one of the key ways you actually serve God. Yeah. And it's a pretty incredible thing when that starts to happen. Dude, that that's really that's really good, man. Like the the financial freedom leading to a greater like you blessing others. So um, I think Dave Ramsey talks about that a lot. Yeah, and um, Rick Warren, I mean, he says yeah. it best. God doesn't increase your wealth to increase your standard of living. Uh -huh. It's to increase your standard of giving. Yeah. And only the way yeah. Rick can say it, where it's easy to remember. Yeah. And I think that's right. Yeah. So all of us have to get to a place where we say enough is enough. Right. If you don't predetermine what is your enough, you will keep chasing something bigger yeah. and better. Yeah. But you get to a point where you say enough is enough and then you have more than you need, well, that's when you start to become a blessing to others. Yeah. And I do think it's one of God's purposes for entrusting us with financial resources that yeah. we can steward. Yeah, cool. Well, um, so you talked about, uh, let's talk about this four-month tithe challenge. Yeah. Um, have we done that before? You know, we did it in February of 2020. Really? We did, yeah. So um, I, I did it last time I've done it. I haven't done one since. Okay. What were the results from that? Okay. So I remember February of 2020, uh -huh. we had... Now, again, do we even need to say out loud that was a different time? <laughs> that was a way different time, man. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like dog years. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that's been a lot really? longer ago than just two years. That but, feels like a decade You know, ago, I don't yeah. remember the exact number, but we had a good number of households in our church mm -hmm. uh, um, participate in that yeah. last tie challenge that we did. And certainly our follow-up started to look a little different <laughs> as uh, the subsequent months unfolded. Yeah. But, um, you know, to me, it's one of those things to do from time to time to just offer that little nudge that might help mm -hmm. somebody kind of go, all right, let me take that step. Morgan and I were in a life group years ago. This is probably been close to a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, there were 16 or 17 couples. It was a large life That's group. It felt like group. a party every week. It was, it was a lot <laughs> of fun. And I remember one week we got into the discussion of finances and tithing. I don't remember how, because that's not what our, our, our group was actually about prayer, but we ended mm -hmm. up talking about this. And um, most of the couples in the group were in their late 20s or early 30s. It was okay. kind of um, a few couples had started having babies, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of that season of life. Yeah. I bet half, it was probably about half, half of the couples in the group that night had never even heard of tithing. Okay. They didn't even know what it was. They, they hadn't been taught. They hadn't gone to church. They didn't know. Um, and so we talked about it. When I served in New York City for four years, mm -hmm. when we would, you know, have people come to faith in Jesus Christ and baptize them, and I got to baptize, you know, hundreds of people while I was up there. They did. It's not like they grew up in church, they walked away from church, and now they're yeah. getting saved. Yeah. Like, they had never been near a church. This was all new, right? <laughs> so they're getting saved and they're experiencing what it means to be a part of a, mm -hmm. a community of faith for the first time. And inevitably, it's somewhere in their discipleship process, tithing enters into the conversation. Right. And um, I remember cracking a joke. I like to crack jokes and goof off. And <laughs> I was talking to this guy one Sunday after lobby, probably 25, 26 years old, uh, businessman, mm -hmm. you know, working on Wall Street somewhere. And, you know, he's just recently got saved at our church. And he's like, hey, man, what? Somebody was talking about tithing. Like, yeah. what is tithing? 
I go, it's real simple. It's, I go, it's where you give God 25% of your income. I was like, it's awesome. <laughs> and he goes, that's amazing. 25%? Like yeah. after everything God saved me from? Yeah. Like I, I thought yeah. he would pick up on the joke. And yeah, he, he did not. No. And I was like, what a great perspective from a new yeah, Christian. Yeah, He's like, yeah. oh, only a fourth? That's amazing. I go, it actually is better than that. I was just messing with you. Like it's only He's a, a generous giver. It, it's a tenth. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. So like he couldn't believe that he has just been saved from an eternity separated yeah. from God and all God requires is 10% of his income. Yeah, yeah. Now 10% of his income was a lot, right? Yeah. But but yeah. he was he was he glad was, he was glad to do it. Yeah, he's willing and to give so, up more than that. You know, I, I think that when people tithe, they experience the blessing of that verse where yeah. God says, Test me, I'll open up the floodgates and I'll see you'll see me come through tangibly for you. Yeah. And um I would be doing people a disservice mm -hmm. if I didn't offer every available opportunity for them to tithe. Yeah. So if offering this tithe challenge where we're like, look, if mm -hmm. at any point over the four months you run into something and you're in trouble and you need the money, like we'll gladly give you your mm -hmm. money back. Now I've been issuing the tithe challenge for over a decade yeah. at several different churches. Yeah. I've only had one time where a situation like that popped up. Mm -hmm. And before we could even find out at the church office that particular life group had already taken care of the need. And it was wow. like an auto bill or something yeah. like that. So, you know, I've never had someone take me up on it, but mm -hmm. if they did, we would certainly follow through with it. And it's just our opportunity to give that extra little nudge, like, hey, give this a try. What yeah. do you have to lose? And again, like I said yesterday, it's not about, you know, us getting more money. Our church is doing fine financially. It's mm -hmm. not about God needing money from you. God mm -hmm. wants to you to experience something in his in your life called his blessing. Yeah. He has something for you. Yeah. And this is one of the ways that you can tangibly experience that. Now, I, I, didn't, I didn't really go into this de in detail in the message yesterday, but for someone who says, yeah, I want to do that, but man, that's hard. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when someone says, like, I'm going to cut out dessert for the next month, or I'm going to exercise <laughs> yeah. every single yeah. day. Like, their heart's in the, the right place. Yeah. The follow-through can be it's tough, really okay? Tough. Yeah. So when it comes to tithing, we understand that as well, which is why we offer people the opportunity to set up their giving in a recurring way, okay, in an automated way. It's yeah. so like, I wish I could automate my exercise, right? I wish I could <laughs> hit, push a button and it would automate me not me eating dessert, too, right? So what we <laughs> you can do online is you set up your gift to go out, you know, on the 1st or the 15th yeah. or the 20th or whenever you want to, you know when you get paid and then it'll go out yeah. automatically. Yeah. You don't have to remember to go do it. And in many ways, that kind of helps force that habit mm -hmm. instead of that, you know, well, one piece of cake won't hurt. You right. know, if you yeah. miss it once and it's easy to miss it again. So, yeah. again, it's just one of those things that kind of helps put that into practice. Yeah. So the, you know, the 10 percent uh, tithing, um, it was in the Old Testament. Um, that applies to the New Testament, too. Right. Um I've heard some Christians tell me over the, over the years that they don't think that we should tithe, that right. that's an Old Testament teaching and that doesn't apply to us now. Okay. Unfortunately for them, that's a very underdeveloped understanding of God's yeah. Word. And I don't say especially. that to be arrogant. I just am saying that well, to be truthful. Well, especially after what you just said. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, tithing, tithing is training wheels on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. Tithing isn't the end game. Tithing is how you get started. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's all about how you look at it. Now, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually says, of course, you should tithe. Yeah. He's talking to a bunch of Pharisees and he's coming after them <laughs> because they viewed tithing as something to be arrogant about. Uh -huh. So he's, he's, he's attacking them. But yeah. then he goes, you should have been tithing anyway. Yeah. But then let me address what's been going on here. Mm -hmm. Don't flaunt it and on all of that. Yeah. In the New Testament, the standard wasn't 10%. Mm -hmm. The standard was 100%. <laughs> read Acts chapter two, yeah. read how the early church started. Here's what it says. They gave everything to each other. 
Wow. Yeah. So I like the Old Testament. Yeah. Old Testament says 10%. New <laughs> Testament says 100%. It usually so is a little bit higher. They literally yeah. said everything they had belonged yeah. to each other. So for anyone who's been saved by grace to look at tithing in the Old Testament and somehow reach the conclusion that the New Testament under God's grace would call us call us to a lower standard than mm-hmm. God's law, you're not reading the New Testament. What right. does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard it said, yeah. don't commit murder. I say, hey, man, if you, if you hate it, yeah. Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you've lusted in your heart. You've heard it said, you should tithe 10%. I'm telling you, it all belongs to God. Right. Yeah. You should be generous with all of it. You should excel in the grace of giving. Yeah. So tithing is not an Old Testament teaching. Tithing is the baseline for being generous, which yeah. is why we had it on that ladder. Right. Yeah. But it's not the top of the ladder. It's no, where you get started. Not. And, you know, so I just think it's one of those things that once you really see it in light of the whole of what God's Word teaches, mm-hmm. you go, okay, I could see that. Yeah, that's where I need to start. Yeah. And true giving doesn't really begin until I get into the other 90%. Right. Yeah, going back to that first question, being a good steward, right. like God owns everything. So being good stewards of that. Um, So what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? Because that's what um New Testament says that in Second. Uh, Corinthians. What does it say? What does that mean? I think it means good, use good discernment. Yeah. I mean, if if you have you know the other ninety percent of your income, like be really careful about mm-hmm. who you give that to. Right. You know, so don't let someone manipulate you. <laughs> like, don't give under compulsion. Don't give yeah. under guilt. Yeah. Don't give because Uncle Bob's car broke down again, and I'm tired <laughs> of paying for Uncle Bob's car. Yeah. You know, it's like you can use some wisdom. Yeah. You can right. use some discernment. So, uh, and then you do want to do it with a with a cheerful heart. You know, so yeah. we're in this special offering, Be a Light. All five of those initiatives, you know, being a light in our local community with Mercy House, our our ESL ministry that's back up and running here on our campus, everything that's happening, our next generation ministry, our worship services, compassion. Yeah. Why would I not want to give to that? Right. <laughs> I right. Mean, those are all wonderful things yeah. and I can give cheerfully. And so I, I think that it, it's one of those things where it's a good heart check. If if someone's, you know, asking you to give to something and there's a check in your spirit, you don't feel good about it, you don't trust where that money's going, yeah. don't give. Right. There's far too many things that are going to good things that, that are trustworthy causes that yeah. you can give to. So yeah, yeah. you just need to use wisdom and discernment. Good. It's one of the reasons why we are very open about where the money goes around here. Yeah. You know, I said it yesterday, we report to those who support. Yep. So, you know. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but if someone ever tells me, I have no idea what's going on in our church. Here's what you just told me. You don't give. Because <laughs> I don't manage that department of our church. Like, yeah. that's not my area. Like, we yeah. we're, we run the worship services. Yeah. They don't let you and me run the finances. No, no, no. Praise that would God. Be a really bad... That would be a mistake, right? Hardy, so thank the, you. The people who, <laughs> who give, they always know what's going on because we let them know. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of good things that you can give to. Yeah. And so be cheerful in your giving towards those things. All right, so this is a simple question, but I hear it a lot. Does God care whether we're tithing off of our net income or our gross income? That's not a simple question. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, all right, so for those of us who struggle with remembering terms sometime, what's the difference? So the gross income is what we get paid. Our net income, income is, what is what we, we get t- to keep yeah, after all the taxes home. are taken out. Okay, yeah. so there is not a verse in the Bible that speaks to this. Let <laughs> me start there, right on that okay? One. The closest we get is Jesus mm-hmm. saying, render unto Caesars what is Caesars, right. and unto the Lord was unto, unto the Lord. So now Jesus doesn't say we have to give Caesar more than his Caesars, <laughs> but <laughs> he does say we should pay our taxes. So you should yeah. be a joyful taxpayer, right? Joyful that's, I, taxpayer, I think that's the application giver. of that verse, but but seriously, let's get to your, the heart of your question. Mm-hmm. Since there's not a verse that 
delineates this for us. We're yeah. going to have to go to a greater principle for guidance from God's word. So the greater principle, I believe, from God's word is the principle of the first fruit, of mm-hmm. returning to God what is first. Yeah. If you look at the story of Cain and Abel, it wasn't that uh, Cain didn't give God some type of offering. It was that he didn't give him the first, the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. So I take that principle and I apply it to the situation. Do I want to give God the first fruit of the income that I've been entrusted with, or do I want him to get the second? And if the government gets the first and he gets the second, then I don't believe he's getting the first fruit. Now, I'm not a legalist on that. Yeah. Because, again, there's not a chapter and verse on it. Um, so if someone said, well, this is, this is what I can do, I'd be like, well, that's better than not doing anything at all. Right. But maybe as soon as possible, move towards that, make that your goal. I really believe this is not just a cliche. And I know pastors are terrible for having cliches. Okay. So I get it. If someone wants to roll their eyes at this, but it's not a cliche because I've experienced it and I've seen far too many other people experience it. You cannot outgive God. Yeah. It's the only thing he says to test him. So I would encourage someone, you know, you need to give as much as possible, not as little as possible, because he's going to bless you. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I would say, you know, go for the gross, you know, not the net. But, um, you know, someone's particular situation, they may see that a little differently. And I can have some compassion towards that. But because I know you can't outgive God, I would say go for it and, and make... And trust him with the first of the fruit that he's entrusted you with. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Um, so let's talk about the legacy giving. That was the top of the ladder, right? Um, how does how explain that? How does it work for Von Forest? What is that? What does it do? Yeah, so it's a service we provide. Okay. Um, for the people who call Von Forest home, and there's no direct benefit for Von Forest Church for mm-hmm. providing the service. Yeah, it's just part of what we believe. Um, we believe in it enough that we want to make the service available yeah. for families in our church. So, you know, when Morgan and I did this, uh, we had several phone calls. Uh, I think there was a Zoom meeting or two where we mm-hmm. were guided through this. And, you know, part of the process was just making sure we had a good will. Yeah. Um, and making sure all of that was taken care of and, you know, making sure that everything's kind of in one place. Mm-hmm. You know, no, none of us want to sit around and think about what's going to happen when we die. But one of the best ways you can serve people is to sit around and think about what's going to happen when you die. Mm -hmm. And the moment you die, a whole lot of things are going to start to happen. And the people who you care about, you don't want them to have to usurp the grieving process because you left a lot of loose ends. And unfortunately, in ministry over the years, I have seen that far too many times Mm -hmm. where a family didn't really have the opportunity to grieve appropriately because nothing had been left in order. So one of the best ways that we can serve our families, male or female, parent or non-parent, you know, Mm -hmm. married or unmarried, one of the best ways you can serve the people who love you the most, the best, is by just having some things in order. So that's part of the process. The other part of the process then is the opportunity to look at what happens to your, for lack of a better phrase, net worth when you die. Mm -hmm. Most of us are worth more dead than we are alive, <laughs> okay, when you start figuring all this out. Now, yeah. we're pastors. Yeah. We don't sit around and think about this stuff, but people who do this every day, yeah. very simply, they can show you on one sheet of paper what, mm-hmm. what I just said means. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like, that's, that's, that's some— that's some money. Like yeah. what's going to happen? What, 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 what happens what with happens that? With okay. It, yeah. Well, I got three kids. And so mm-hmm. we need to talk about that. And if someone has kids, you know, they need to figure that out. But then there's this opportunity where you begin to recognize what if some of that money 
were to be used to continue to further the kingdom. Yeah. You know, I didn't talk about this passage yesterday in my message because um, we were, it was, I, I crammed a lot into yeah. one message, yeah. right? But, you know, Jesus says in, in, the, in, in the New Testament that we can, that, that you, to not store up treasures for yourself here on earth, but to store up treasure in heaven. Mm-hmm. So to me, and, and Randy Alcorn, I believe, is the one who has the best, uh, you know, uh, explanation of this first, when Randy says, what Jesus is saying there is you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Yeah. You, you can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah. So there's something going on there that we'll understand one yeah. day when we're in heaven. But what if your money can continue to store up treasures for yourself in heaven, even after you're in heaven? Yeah. That's a pretty compelling thought. Mm. And the money can grow by being managed appropriately to continue to fund the kingdom. Yeah. So once we recognize the power of this for God's people, we put a mechanism in place mm. here at Vaughn Forest Church that if someone goes through this process at our church and they decide that they want to do that, mm-hmm. they don't have to. Yeah. But if they decide they wanted to leave some of their financial resources for Vaughn Forest, now we don't want this to happen anytime soon, right? Yeah. I mean, that we're, right. these... these that money will probably come to Vaughn Forest decades from now. I mean, who knows who will be the pastor here then, right? So (laughs) I I hope, by God's grace, I hope, you know, no one's run me off. But like, you know, so this is no direct benefit to us today. So this is decades down the road that money comes. Well, we put a mechanism in place at Vaughn Forest that would allow that money to be received appropriately, and it would go towards one of three initiatives. It would go towards uh, debt reduction, uh, facility improvement, or global missions. Now, let me tell you why that's important. I almost shared the story in the sermon, but again, I didn't have enough time. Yeah. And, I, and once I start telling stories, they just get longer, yeah. which is why our podcast gets longer <laughs> every week. So this, I guess, is a better format to tell a story. So when I lived out in Colorado, um, Colorado Christian University was right down the road, um, great institution. Mm-hmm. So I went to a lunch there one day. Um, I don't remember what the lunch was for, but there was a lot of, you know, just leaders in the community and this and that and the other, yeah. pastors, Christian, whatever. I'm sitting at a table, and one of the guys sitting at the table uh, worked for Compassion International. They're headquartered in Colorado Springs, just, you know, an hour down yeah. the road. And um, I've always, I mean, we, we've talked about Compassion yeah. a lot here. Yeah. So this guy was sitting there, and we, we struck up a conversation, and he was in their, uh, basically their fundraising department. Mm-hmm. And so we just, you know, I asked him, any... Anytime you're at lunch with somebody who you can learn something from, just start asking yeah, them as many questions as you can think of, right? They could yeah. be a mechanic. They could be a, a librarian. They could be a <laughs> real estate agent. You know, just ask. I yeah. mean, I've always, I just love to ask and find stuff. So I'm asking this guy questions. Super nice. And he says, uh, he, we ended up, and I can't, I don't remember how we got into this, but this is what I remember from, this is why I don't tell the story in the sermon. See how long it is already. He said, <laughs> the single largest gift we received last year from Compassion was from a little old lady who gave $20 million. She wrote a check for $20 million to Compassion. And do you know what I said to him? <laughs> that little old lady is a member of somebody's church. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave that $20 million not to her church, yeah. but to Compassion. And I've often reflected upon that. Why? Yeah. Like, why did that little sweet lady think this $20 million is going to go to compassion? Now, we could certainly point out tangibly a number yeah. of reasons why. Right. Well, there's children all over the world who need to be fed. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think she made a great decision with that money. Yeah. Um, but let me tell you what I also know. And I'm going to kind of read into the situation a little bit here, <laughs> maybe even upset a few of our listeners. But I have been going to church since nine months before I was born. Okay. So like, <laughs> I am a church guy through and through. I never yeah. went through my... I hate church season of life. Yeah. I have always been in a church, okay? Yeah. 
Therefore, I think I have a pretty good understanding of church, a number of churches. Like I've, I've served in a number of churches. Do you know what would happen in most churches if a $20 million gift was received? <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine the, you know, one week it's all of a sudden we send out like our weekly shout out and yeah. it always shows like the weekly giving. Yeah. If it was like 20 million. <laughs> uh, okay. In yeah. most churches, there would be an immediate business meeting. Yeah. And everybody would begin to like, what do we do? What do we do with this? Yeah. I mean, the youth pastor would be like, hey, I need a new you know, building. Yeah. We bought a yacht, you know? So, I mean, I don't even tell you what the worship guy yeah, would do. Hey, I mean, I, I, you'd have 17 <laughs> new electric guitars yeah. and here we go, you know? All, yeah. So, all joking aside. <laughs> Most churches have never stopped to think through, what would we do if yeah. we got that kind of money? And compassion has. Yeah. Therefore, if you've got that kind of money, where do you want to send it? Well, you want to send it to someone who's already thought through mm-hmm. what they would do with it. Right. And I recognized that for a lot of churches, they've never thought that through. Mm-hmm. And then when we got into this process with Legacy Giving, um, you know, Hardy and I sat down and we talked with some of the folks that helped with this yeah. and basically said... We want to make sure we're being responsible. Are there steps we would need to take if somebody decided they want to do this? And said, yeah, there actually are. So we had to set up. And by we, I mean, this, again, Hardy and yeah, his team lead Hardy all this. Team. And, you know, we, we've got a lay team that's fantastic with all this stuff. But they legally put a mechanism in place that would be able to receive those funds one day. Yeah. So let's just say 30 years from now some of those funds come in, none of the people are around who made the decisions to receive those funds. They're not put in that spot I just described. What do we do with all this money? Well, it's already been decided. It can go to one of these three initiatives. Right. And I think, you know, that matters when people are determining, you know, well, what, I want to make sure I steward those resources well. If you can't tell me where the money's going to go, I'm not so sure that I need to trust you with it. And so the legacy giving is an all encompassing Um, opportunity for families in our church to do that. But it was also an opportunity for us in one more way to make sure we had our financial house in order as a church. Because I do believe we are called not just to do ministry today, but to fund ministry for future generations. Yeah. Which I told the story yesterday of Henry asking me randomly, (laughs) what's our church going to be like in 2091 when he's 75 years old, right? (laughs) So um, it's good to think about that every now and then. Right. And so um, somebody was thinking about that 75 years ago, or we wouldn't be here right now. Right. You know, so the heritage of First Baptist Montgomery goes Mm -hmm. way back. They're the church that planted us in 1994. So this is nothing new. Mm -hmm. And every time you really start to think about these things, you have to recognize, well, we're God's people on the earth right now. Right. So if we don't think these things through now for the future generation, we're going to put them in a tough spot one day. And I don't want to do that to them. Yeah. I want to serve them well to the extent that we have been served well by all of the faithful believers' shoulders that we're standing on today. That's good, man. So how um, how can we sign up for that? How does... Yeah, I mean, we have actually on our website, a, if you go to the giving at the top of the page and click on it, you'll see legacy giving is one yeah. of the options. You'll see some testimonials of some people in our church who've already gone through it. Mm-hmm kind of sharing uh, their experience and what that was like. There's a little form that you can click and, you know, less than 30 seconds, have, hit submit and we'll receive it and, and begin the follow-up process. Yeah, Real that's simple. Good. That's good. Well, um, I think that's a good place to wrap up for today. So uh, thank you guys for joining us. We have Adam and myself. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>